seated. Good evening. And uh, for our Advent series, we are looking at the book of Zephaniah. Uh, that's that little one in the Old Testament. Uh, you might find the page number 940. Helpful to find it. Please do turn it open. Uh, we want to be uh, following along together as we, uh, as we go through the sermon. Page 940, Zephaniah chapter 2. Uh, there's a few blank pages you can use in your uh, bulletin to jot down notes uh, if you want. Lots of space this week. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that your word is true and that you speak to us the words that we need to hear. Lord, we know some things uh, in your word are are difficult for us to hear and to understand. So we do pray now that you would help me to preach faithfully and clearly. And we pray that your spirit would work among us, that we might respond rightly to you in, in humble trust and so be ready for the judgment day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how will you fare on the judgment day? How will you fare on the judgment day? Just imagine that we don't make it to the end of the service this evening because Jesus comes back. Would you be ready to face him as the judge of your life? Are you sure you would stand? Now, I think most people in this world rarely consider that this world will one day end, that they're going to give an account to God for their lives. We, we become so busy with our work and, and family and, and careers that we rarely stop to even think about Jesus returning as our judge. I think still fewer people are sure of what will happen on that day. Uh, for many people, and that includes many Christians, uh, there, is, there is the hope that everything will be okay uh, because of some good things or some religious things that I have done. But, but definitely no certainty, no, no assurance. We just hope it will all work out in the end. How will you fare on Judgment Day? If Jesus returned this evening, would he welcome you to heaven? Or would he condemn you to hell? Now, the answer, as we'll see tonight, is it all depends. Well, we're looking at uh, Zephaniah. We saw in Zephaniah chapter 1 that the great day of the Lord's wrath is drawing near. Uh, it's described as a dreadful day when God comes to destroy the world, a day of, of gloom and devastation, a day of darkness and distress, a day when sin will be, uh, will be held fully and finally to account. And moreover, we've seen that there's no, there's no postponing this day. There's no avoiding the judgment day. It is inevitable. It is devastating. It's bad news for God's people. It's bad news for the world. And in our passage today, we see that amidst the bad news, there is good news too, that hope is held out to some. Well, that's point one, a possible escape. Would you look with me? Zephaniah 2, verse 1. 1, page 940. Gather together, 
Yes, gather, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. And so the, the good news is that as awful as that coming day of judgment is, it hasn't arrived yet. And if it hasn't arrived yet, then there's, there's still hope of rescue. For throughout the Bible, we see God's character. He is he's full of steadfast love and faithfulness. He, he loves to forgive those who repent. He, he longs to relent from disaster. Uh, like he did when, when Israel built the golden calf at Mount Sinai. Or like he did when David committed adultery with Bathsheba. Or like he did with the Ninevites when he sent that reluctant prophet Jonah to preach to them. God is the God of steadfast love. He, he's not simply some vengeful tyrant up in heaven, angry all the time, waiting to devour and destroy whoever he can find. He will judge because he's a just God, but he longs to forgive. And, and so before the judgment falls, there is still hope. But Zephaniah wants us to understand time is running out. Urgent action is required now. And we know, looking back, just how little time Judah had. Just a few years later, Jerusalem would have been destroyed. You can see the response he calls for in verse 3. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. So, so who is the one who will be delivered from this great day of wrath? It's the one who turns to the Lord in humble trust and obedience. The, the one who seeks the Lord, who, who seeks righteousness, who seeks humility. See, salvation is for those who humbly turn to the Lord in repentance and faith. Not thinking that they are, are worthy of salvation. Not thinking that God is, is obligated to save them. But recognizing their failures. And so humbly throwing themselves upon the mercy of God. And seeking to live God's way. Now notice Zephaniah is not very certain of the salvation. He can only say, perhaps, no assurance. No certainty. Perhaps that shows how far Judah has gone or that he doesn't want to assume on God's sovereignty. But one thing they can be assured, and that is that the judgment day is coming. And so in verses 4 to 15, Zephaniah prophesies God's judgment to all the surrounding nations, to the Philistines, to the, to the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Cushites, the Assyrians. Uh, if you were to put all these nations on a map, you would find that they're all surrounding Judah to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west. Some are near, some are far. Some are mighty, some are not. But they all stand together as God pours out his judgment on the whole of the world. And these verses are to have two effects for us. They are, they are to be a motivation to humbly seek the Lord, and a, and a warning 
if we proudly rebel. Just look at verse 4, that first word, for. For. So this is explaining to us why we should seek the Lord and what will happen if we don't. Now, note throughout these verses that it is total desolation that will come on the enemies of God. He begins with the Philistines in verses 4 to 7. They live to the west uh, by the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, Verse 4 mentions Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, Ekron. These are all Philistine cities. And the message is utter devastation. Verse 4, they shall be deserted, they shall become a desolation, they shall be driven out, they shall be uprooted. Now verse 5 says, I will destroy you until there is no inhabitant left. And and, and verse 6 says there's going to be no more cities left in Philistia, just meadows for the sheep. See, it's a message of, of total devastation. Total judgment. Now, verses 8 to 11, we see that the Moabites and the Ammonites are going to face, share the same fate. Now, these guys were the, were the cousins of Israel. They were the descendants of Lot, who was Abraham's nephew. And like any relatives, well, they were in regular conflict with one another. When Israel entered the land... They insisted that that Israel couldn't pass through. They had to to go away around the long way and get some extra exercise. Other times they threatened God's people. They they, they taunted God's people. And we see in verse 8 what what they were like. God says, I have heard the taunts of Moab and the revilings of the Ammonites, how they've taunted my people and made boasts against their territory. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Moab shall become like Sodom, the Ammonites like Gomorrah, a land possessed by nettles and salt pits and a waste forever. In other words, they will be totally destroyed. Like those those cities, Sodom and Gomorrah in the book of Genesis, destroyed with, with fire and sulfur from heaven, utterly wiped out so will they be. And the reason given is is their pride, verse 10. This shall be their lot in return for their pride, because they taunted and boasted against the people of the Lord of hosts. So so they weren't humble. They didn't seek the Lord. They they exalted themselves against God, uh, against his people, and God declares their pride will be humbled on that day. Verse 11 puts it this way. The Lord will be awesome against them. He will famish all the gods of the earth. To him shall bow down each to its place, all the lands of the nations. So on judgment day, all these false gods will be hungry. There'll be no worshippers for them anymore because every knee will bow, every tongue confess, the Lord alone is God. He'll have no rivals. He will not share his glory in the least. As Isaiah writes in Isaiah 2, the lofty pride of men shall be humbled and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. In verse 12, the prophecy to the Cushites is rather short and brutal. You also, O Cushites, 
shall be slain by my sword. Uh, Cush was Egypt, or perhaps further down, uh, Ethiopia. For, for Israel, this was, was like the end, the edge of the known world. And yet God's judgment would reach there too. And they would be destroyed by the sword of God's hand. The rest of the chapter is dedicated to, to Assyria. They were the great superpower of the day. Less than a century earlier, they had conquered the world, including the northern kingdom, Israel. And the message for them, too, is, is of utter destruction. Verse 13 says, He will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria. He will make Nineveh a desolation, a dry waste like the desert. Now, now Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, in its time, it was, it was the greatest city on earth. It was full of great buildings and, and, and walls, a magnificent place. And verse 14 declares, on judgment day, it will become a field, a home for animals, desolate like a desert, utterly destroyed. Once again, the reason for her destruction is, is her pride, verse 15. This is the exultant city that lived securely, that said in her heart, I am, and there is no one else. What a desolation she has become. A lair for wild beasts. Everyone who passes by her hisses and shakes his fist. So the great Assyria trusts in her own strength, in the power of her own rule. So much so that, that Assyria challenges God himself. Uh, God's name, Yahweh, means I am. And God alone had declared, I am the Lord. There is no other. But Assyria, in her arrogance, acts like God. She says, I am, and there is no other. They, they pretend that they are God, that they, they are in command of their own destiny. It's the, the arrogance of the atheist. It's the arrogance of the idolater, of the sinner who thinks that they are the center of the universe. And God declares, proud Assyria will fall. The great city will be totally desolate. And in that day, no one will even mourn for it. Verse 15, everyone who passes by her hisses and, and shakes his fist. They are happy that this God-forsaken nation is wiped from the earth. Reminds us of the book of Revelation we just read of, of, the, of Babylon and on the great final judgment day. Babylon who, who symbolizes arrogant humanity and their rebellion against God and as Babylon is thrown down and destroyed. God's people sing, Hallelujah. So then there is a severe warning for God's people. Now they themselves are, are complacent. They themselves are idolatrous. They themselves are, are proudly challenging the rule of God. They need to seek the Lord. They need to seek righteousness. They need to seek humility because on judgment day, the proud, the wicked, they will be utterly destroyed, never to rise again, total desolation. Now, while God's enemies are headed for total desolation, 
again we find God's hope for God's people. Now twice in this chapter we're told of a remnant of God's people whom he is going to restore. Look back at verse 7. The seacoast shall become the possession of the remnant of the house of Judah, on which they shall graze, and in the houses of Ashkelon they shall lie down at evening, for the Lord their God will be mindful of them and restore their fortunes. Again, verse 9, the remnant of my people shall plunder them. The survivors of my nation shall possess them. So there is hope for this remnant, not for all of God's people, but but for this faithful few who seeks the Lord in humble trust. There is salvation through the judgment. There is restoration beyond the destruction. See the difference? The the, the Philistines will be destroyed. The Moabites, the, the Ammonites, they'll be wiped out. Assyria will be totally desolate. But Judah will rise again. There will be survivors from there. Now notice how the the perhaps of verse 3 now has become a certainty in verses 7 and 9. Here we have these firm promises of God. He will restore their fortunes. They will plunder their enemies and possess them. What an encouragement to God's people in the face of this devastating global judgment for those who seek the Lord, who seek righteousness, who seek humility. There is hope. Well, what will become of Jerusalem? We see her fate in chapter 3, 1 to 7, verse 1. Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled the oppressing city. She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. At first sight, actually, this, it sounds like a description of Nineveh. Now, we need to remember in the, uh, in the original, there's, there's no uh, chapters and headings like we have now. They were added much later by editors. Uh, and so, as we, as we read from chapter 2 into chapter 3, we're, we're, we're thinking that we're still talking about Assyria. Surely, Nineveh is this, this, this rebellious and defiled and oppressing city. Until you get to the end of verse 1, you realize it's not Nineveh at all. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. This is talking about Jerusalem. God's people. Judah is not seeking the Lord in patient trust as they ought. Rather, the contrary. They are just like the nations. They are just like Nineveh. They are rebellious, they are unrighteous, they are disobedient, they are defiled, they are so proud that they refuse to listen to God's word, they refuse to accept correction, they're they're so self-dependent that they do not draw near to God. I think it explains why Zephaniah takes a, a whole chapter to prophesy God's judgment on the nations. Here's his point. If he will judge the pride of the nations, why should Judah escape? If he will call all the nations to account for their wickedness, would he not call his own people 
to account as well who do the same? These oracles are designed to rouse us from complacency. See the point? If God will judge others, will he not judge me too? If I do the same things? If if even the mighty Assyrians could not withstand God's fierce judgment, how could we? If we do the same. And yet these verses can be true even in our, our wider global church. Perhaps there are people who are rebellious, who, who will not listen to God's voice, who will not accept the correction of his son, who will not trust in the Lord, who will not draw near to God. What should God do? Verse 3 shows what the leadership is like that has caused all this. Her, Her officials within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave nothing till the morning. So they are godless leaders. Instead of humbly serving the people they lead, they are devouring them to satisfy their own desires. Verse 4, we read of her prophets are fickle, treacherous men. They change their message when it's convenient. They tell people what they want to hear. Maybe they can change the message for a price. Her priests, they profane what is holy. They do violence to the law. Instead of leading God's people in holiness, they do the exact opposite. And, and, and this is meant to be the leaders of, of God's people. That the rot of of sin has has spread through Judah from the top to the bottom. And again, do we not sometimes see this situation in the global church as well? Leaders who who change their message to suit their needs. Leaders who are in it for themselves instead of humbly serving the flock. Leaders who are not leading people to holiness but but defiling the people that they lead. What should God do when he sees such corruption in his church? Verse 5 reminds us the Lord is still there. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail, but the unjust knows no shame. Kind of sounds good, doesn't it? God in their midst and all. But it's not actually very good, is it? Every day he arises to to shine his light on their evil deeds. And they don't care. They are shameless. Not only are they doing evil, they're proud of it. They, They boast of the evil they are doing. They had every reason to be ashamed of how they have acted as God's people. This is God's holy city. And they're just like the nations, perhaps even worse. What should God do to a wicked people like this? Well, he sends some warning signs to them. 
which they refuse to take seriously. Verse 6 says, I've cut off nations, their battlements are in ruins, I've laid waste their streets so that no one walks in them, their cities have been made desolate without a man, without an inhabitant. So he reminds them how God, God destroyed Egypt when he brought Israel out. He destroyed the Canaanites when he brought Israel in. He's prophesied he's going to destroy all these other nations around as well. God's people should reflect on these things. They should have amended their ways. They should have looked around and taken the threats of God's judgment seriously. But they do not. Verse 7, God says, I said, surely you will fear me. You will accept correction. Then your dwelling would be, not be cut off according to all that I have appointed against you. But all the more they were eager to make all their deeds corrupt. So, so the, the offer of salvation is there. God is there with his steadfast love offered to his people with outstretched arms. If they would but seek the Lord, turn from their wickedness, seek righteousness, seek humility, listen to God's voice again, they'd be saved. But they do not. They, they, they reject the Lord. They, 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 they seek evil and corruption instead. And God declares his verdict. Verse 8, therefore wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up to seize the prey, for my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger, for in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be Consumed. So God has a day of final reckoning. A day when, when all people will get what they deserve. Even God's people who are living godless lives like the nations. God will come in his righteous anger. He will bring utter devastation. All the earth will be consumed. Never to rise again. It's a terrifying warning, isn't it, of the judgment day. How will we fare? Well, friends, we know that all that Zephaniah prophesied has come true. Uh, in 612 BC, uh, the Assyrian Empire did fall to the Babylonians, just as Zephaniah prophesied. No one could have imagined that in Zephaniah's day. But it did happen. And the Philistines, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Cushites, well, the Babylonians destroyed them too, just as Zephaniah prophesied. Not only that, 587 BC, Jerusalem fell, just as Zephaniah prophesied. Again, it must have seemed unthinkable to God's people in Zephaniah's day. But it happened. And in 539 BC, the unthinkable happened again as the, the Persians defeated the Babylonians and King Cyrus sent the faithful remnant of God's people back home to rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, their fortunes restored, just as Zephaniah 
prophesies. We know Zephaniah's prophecy is true. And and we know that Zephaniah's prophecy will be fulfilled not only in Israel's history, but in an an ultimate and and, and total way at the end, that that there is a a great day of wrath still yet to come. The the day when when Jesus returns as the judge of the world, when, when, when all that is evil will be destroyed once and for all, cast into the lake of fire. It it seems unthinkable to us, perhaps, that this world will one day end. But that will come too. Just as Zephaniah prophesied, for this is the word of the Lord. And we know that in the face of that day of judgment, our only hope is to seek the Lord in patient trust. Now, this Christmas, we are remembering how Christ came as that faithful remnant of God's people to save us. He, 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 he always sought the Lord. He, he always sought righteousness. He, he always sought humility. He was, he was willing to be born in a manger, willing to be crucified on a cross. Jesus was hanged on that cross, and there he bore all the judgment of God in, in our place. It, it was the, the great day of the Lord's wrath as the, as the sun, as the, as the sky was turned to darkness, as, as evil was punished once and for all. And we know that he rose again three days later, that he ascended to heaven, and, and that was the proof that he would one day come again as the judge of the living and the dead, we can be sure that the great day of the Lord will come. That on that day, all the pride and arrogance of man will be overthrown. Every wrong will be made right. Every pagan nation who has rejected the true God will be judged. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Jesus Christ is Lord. And it is urgent that before that day comes, we seek the Lord. We seek righteousness. We seek humility. Now, as we do that, we no longer live in the day of perhaps. As Christians, we don't simply hope that everything will work out In the end, we can have a total assurance of our salvation. Because on the cross, Jesus offered the one perfect sacrifice for sin. All the judgment that we deserve, he bore it on the cross for us. So that now, as we turn to Jesus in humble trust, we know that we are saved. We are certain that we are saved because it depends not on our works or our religious duties. It depends on what he has done for us. Do you have that assurance? There may be some of us here today who have not yet trusted in Christ. There's very good news for you here today. Yes, there is a judgment day coming when God will call you to account for every evil deed you have done. 
but it's not too late to be saved. If you would just turn to Jesus in humble trust, you will be hidden from his wrath. You will be forgiven totally. But it is urgent that you do it because the time is running out. Now, there's also a warning to us here as God's people too. Simply calling ourselves one of God's people doesn't make us exempt from the wrath of God. We must seek the Lord in humble trust and obedience. Israel, they, they, Judah was God's people, and yet they too faced his judgment when they lived like the nations. We, we should not think that simply because we, we, we come to a church on a Sunday that it will not matter during the week that we live like, the, like all the nations around us. Now we must live in humble trust, seeking righteousness, seeking humility as God's people. Our, our sinful pride that thinks, I know better, it must be extinguished. Any kind of, of self-reliance on my own religious works, it must be expelled. There is no other way to be saved than humble trust in Jesus. Remember the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18, self-righteous. He thought he would be okay because he was better than other people. He was wrong. Jesus says it was the tax collector whom we must be like who called out to God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Humble trust. That's the way to assurance of salvation. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. The one who humbles himself will be exalted. And so, friends, as we turn to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we can live in the assurance and the joy of knowing we will be saved. We do not need to fear the judgment day anymore if we are Christians. We can look forward to it with joy for that restoration to come, the new creation that will come after the judgment day. We can look forward to it with joy. Well, how will you fare on the judgment day if Jesus returned this evening? Would he welcome you to heaven? Would he condemn you to hell? We've seen the answer. It all depends on whether we will seek the Lord Jesus in humble trust and obedience or in pride, refuse. That's the choice. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much that in your steadfast love, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, into this world. Father, we thank you that he died on the cross for us. He bore that judgment that each one of us rightly deserves. 
Lord, we thank you that we can enter heaven. We can be sure of our salvation, not because of our works, but because of what he has done for us. Lord, protect us from pride. Protect us from self-dependence. Help us not to be like Judah who stopped listening to your word, stopped accepting correction. Help us, Lord, to seek you, to seek righteousness, to seek humility. And Lord, we know that around us are many people who still arrogantly refuse to bow the knee to you. Lord, we pray that this Christmas that many more would come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that you would use us to bring this good news to them. In Jesus' name we pray.